Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks so much for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you would like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morningsun underscore fellow traveler, or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you. All right. Why, hello. We're back, folks. Today is January 25th, right? 2023, here we are. Wow. Um, I am joined today by Mark Paisos Rattel. Is that how I say it? Yes. Yeah. Mark Paisios Rattel. Paisios. Oh, wow. That sounds very Greek. Yeah. Yeah. He was Greek. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, cool. So, anyway, um, Mark, where are you located? I'm located currently in San Diego, California, where I was born and raised. And uh, I've been here my whole life, 35 years. Wow, that's awesome. 35 years living in San Diego. I've, I've visited San Diego before. My uncle used to live out in Chula Vista. Oh, nice. I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So, Mark, I, um, I, you're another person that I connected to through the internet. And one thing that interested me is that um, you have a, a unique story in that you have some delvings in the, the new age movement and spirituality. And I was curious to hear your story about that. So one of the, the, the phrase that I use in these discussions is spiritual heritage, talking about where do you find your spiritual roots and what, what did that tradition look like? And then where do you find yourself now? And, and what are some, ex, are there, what are some experiences, whether mystical or mundane that you, that you encountered um, that, have uh, kept you in the faith or grounded you in the faith or brought you to where you are now. So, I mean, um, you know, share as little, as much or as little as you'd like to, but, um, you know, as we go along, I'm definitely, I'll definitely have some questions, but um, feel free to, you know, start from the beginning. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So I was born into the Catholic church. I was baptized into Catholicism, Roman Catholicism as a baby. And I continued with that going to Catholic school, private Catholic school up till about seventh grade. And from there, I started attending public school. Around that time, I, I pretty quickly started to rebel against the faith and just kind of fell into a, a rebellious teenager kind of stage that a lot of people tend to go through and carried on with that for a while. 
from there, about 17 years old, I started getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under someone called Fabio Santos, who's a really awesome Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitor. He used to compete in the past, and he's a teacher now. And uh, anyways, he got his black belt under someone named Hickson Gracie, who's the only Gracie who's undefeated. And I was, I was watching, I'm bringing this up because I was watching a documentary called Choke, where Hickson Gracie is preparing for his fight in the Pride Fighting Championships back in Japan, back in like the, the late 90s, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been early 2000s. Um, but he was doing this training exercise where he was doing this, uh, something called Breath of Fire. It was a yogic breathing exercise where his, his stomach was just all, it was just look, it's something I'd never seen anything like it. It was totally alien to me. And I was obsessed with martial arts and, um, and, and, jujitsu and Hicks and Gracie in general. So I started, I started practicing this and I found out it was called Kundalini yoga. And I looked up online on YouTube and I, and I started training and doing this every day. I, I incorporated into my training routine. I would do boss routines, shadow boxing for about an hour. And then I would wind down with Kundalini yoga. And it was an introductory class taught by uh, Sarah Klein. And I was doing this, I would do this for about I'm not sure how long I was doing it before I had my first mystical experience, because at the time I was, I would, I would have been pretty much atheist at that point, maybe, maybe borderline agnostic, but anyways, I was doing this breath of fire technique and there was, there was another technique involved called Shambhavi Mudra, this other stuff. I, I don't want to get too much into it, but basically I had this, I, I was focusing with my eyes closed on my third eye or my pineal gland and I saw this blue orb of energy come into my third eye vision not my actual vision I guess you would say and it, it, it there was this rush of energy that kind of flowed through my body that I can't really explain and it, it put me in a very ecstatic state not only in that moment I had to go to work later that day and I was like crying on the way driving to work and I remember just this this feeling kind of stuck with me it was very unusual and ecstatic and extreme intense emotion that flowed through me I thought it was God at the time and it actually brought me from atheism over to I know there's something more than me out there beyond me now looking back I do believe this was pre-list that I fall, fell into which is spiritual delusion I do believe that it was a demonic experience that was feeding into my pride and feeding into my ego to get me deeper into the practice that I was in at the time. And um, basically that, that was a very pivotal moment for me and led me out of atheism into, into, into somewhere around agnosticism, but beyond that, because I believed that there was something beyond me for sure at that point. There was, there was something spiritual that happened that was real. So there was that looking back now with the knowledge I have now, I do believe that that was demonic. And I was also dabbling in around this time, I was starting to get into mushrooms. I had dabbled in them in the past, just from a druggy kind of perspective. And I was still dabbling in that, in that kind of, from that framework, from that mentality. And I had an experience on mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, where I, I didn't take too high of a dose. And um, I was with my wife, who was not my wife at the time, just my girlfriend at the time, and we took them together. And I became cold to the touch. I had this weird kind of 
near-death experience kind of thing not like an ego death but where i actually turned purple not that i was hallucinating i was purple i was actually turning purple in the face and cold to the touch and it, it freaked me out and i and i was basically just curled up in a fetal position for a while and and that that experience kind of haunted me but years down the line it ended up uh, I, I wanted to i always wanted to uh what I thought of it as the time is conquer that experience. I wanted to conquer it. And um, there was my pride again, kind of leading me back down a, a self-destructive, uh, spiritually deluded path. So I ended up years down the line to make a, to make a super long story short. In between this, I'm, I'm, de I'm delving into Protestantism. I'm going to, I start attending a, a Baptist church. I start from there. We're just kind of moving around different Protestant denominations and not really, not really clicking anywhere, to be honest, like having little moments, experiences. I experienced one miraculous moment at, the, at this Baptist church. I, I mean, but it was um, it was fleeting, to say the least. And um, I'm not saying that miracles only happen within one church because I have experienced them outside of the church. But I do believe that they happen to lead us to the orthodox church which is which is an interesting thing i think they happen to i think they happen to carry us along the way and keep our faith in in leading us towards christ so i'm moving around these different protestant denominations and and nothing's really clicking i, I end up finding my finding our place for a while at a non-denominational church which is protestant it, when you really get down to it <clears throat> As because they're still working off the the concepts and the and the what's been established by Martin Luther basically, and I come back to I start coming back to these psychedelics from a more new age perspective. I'm doing I'm getting really intense into the Kundalini Yoga at this time. This is about maybe three four ish years ago, leading into it, and then the practice is getting more intense. I'm starting to delve into herbalism and there was good aspects of that where I was making tinctures in my own medicine and uh, learning a lot about herbs and, and all these aspects in, in herbalism. But then it led me to other things like mugwort, mugwort, which is like a very low key psychedelic, something that's kind of unassuming, kind of in between and has medicinal value as well. But it's also a cousin. It's, it's related to wormwood, which is used to make absinthe. So that's something that some people might be more familiar with in that realm. So I started dabbling with mugwort and astral projection and kind of like this in-between, getting into this meditative in-between subconscious, like sub-awake in-between state where uh, you could kind of try to project yourself out of your body your soul out of your body and have these mystical experiences i started delving into this i started delving into just many different areas of esoterica that i didn't really know were esoteric i was it was leading me i was doing these practices through kundalini yoga where i would charge a quartz crystal under the full moon and it's just like looking back you can easily see how these things would be similar to witchcraft or, or many different occultic practices but in the in the midst of it in the heat of the moment it didn't really click for me and um so i'm doing all this about two years ago or so somewhere around two years ago we i end up getting in contact with this local group of veterans that are doing psychedelics microdosing mostly 
and going on walks, nature walks for like healing something, PTSD, something to that effect. I wasn't a veteran myself. My father was a veteran, but I've always kind of clicked with veterans due to, I think, the discipline that's shared through martial arts, maybe. So we started going on these walks and uh, microdosing psilocybin as well as mescaline through San Pedro. And this gentleman would make these pills mixed with San Pedro crushed up and psilocybin mushrooms crushed up into a pill. We'd go on these walks. And um, this continued. It started out fun and fine and, and dandy. And we were having a, a decent time and everything was great. And then through him, I got into contact with a kind of like a shaman type figure who's like, uh, who was an Indian who hosted these very high dose mushroom ceremonies, about like 15 grams to be exact, out on native land in a ceremony that's called a, a Wamkish ceremony. So, I got into contact with this, this person through, through that uh, organization I was speaking of earlier, just a second ago. And we ended up traveling out, me and my wife, we set, up in a, we set up a date for a ceremony and we ended up traveling out to native land. And uh, it was interesting. It was, it was one of the most intense nights of my life. And we get out there and we're setting up, we're all helping to uh, bring firewood. We're going around the uh, native grounds and he's telling us legends and stories of uh, his people and the history and all these different things. We're gathering sage, we're gathering firewood, things of this nature. And we're setting up the Wamkish, which has a, a opening that you walk into, no roof, no top to it. And it's just a bunch of wooden pillars kind of around in a circle with a fire pit in the middle. And you kind of put a, you drape these cloths covering the, the pillars with just one walkway in the roof, no roof. So the sky just above you and a fire in the middle. So you walk in and you walk clockwise only around the fire. There's like these weird kind of rules to it. And we did that. I was out there and we, um, we took 15 grams of, of psilocybin mushrooms. Me and my wife did the full dosage. You had an option of doing five grams, 10 grams if you wanted. He asked me if I wanted to go for the full dose, 15. And I was, that's what I came there and with within mind so i followed through with what i had expected and um ate the mushrooms and about 45 minutes in or so i remember looking up at the sky and um my wife taps me and she's like uh is are the stars gone in the sky and i look up and it was like pitch black all this like the stars were stars were so clear out there so there's like less pollution out there in the in this area and it's just very clear and crisp and the stars were just we were looking at them all night leading up to the ceremony. And then I look up when she tells me and it's just pitch black. It was something unlike anything I'd ever seen before. The sky was just pitch black. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't see any stars in the sky at all. And um, I don't know. I felt like that was a, a moment of like, uh, it, was, it, was, it was showing something that was to come very soon. And um, shortly after that, I, ha I had this flash of, of uh, I guess in my third eye vision, again, you could say of an inverted pentagram kind of flashed in my vision and it turned into Baphomet. And I got this real, just like this nasty feeling in my, in my gut and in my heart of just, just, just thick, nasty, dirty, dark energy. And people around the circle, right when I had this vision, they started getting up and like kind of dry heaving and, and, uh, 
some people were regurgitating and kind of throwing up and just like in a, in a demonic kind of like uh, deep, deep growling guttural uh, uh, sounds that were coming out. And from there, it was, it was, I remember my wife having a vision of in the fire, she was telling me she was having a vision of a alligator head like of a or like a or even like a dragon head kind of like a beast mouth coming out of the fire which i also think was a was a sign of something to come later on that night because shortly after that we went through the whole ceremony the ceremony started around like 9 p.m this went through the middle of the night ceremony probably stopped around one or two ish somewhere around there and we had a room we were staying in at the at the place and uh we went in we went out of the ceremony ceremonies wrapping up fires kind of dwindling and uh we get up people are kind of scattering going to their their beds they had some beds in a campground nearby and we go to our room and on the way to our room we're just my wife was having a rough time she was well we were on 15 grams of mushrooms so you can imagine it was becoming um, a bit intense to say the least and uh, we stopped at the bathroom and there was people trying to get us to throw up and i didn't really want to throw up they were telling me I'd feel better if I threw up, but I couldn't really throw up at the time. I didn't really need to. So I was, it was, there was some commotion and there was some misdirection and miscommunication because there's a lot of people all on very high doses of uh, psychedelics. And we go into the room and I'm trying to get my, uh, my wife to bed. And she was having these visions, very intense visions that were kind of, uh, of like Mary and Joseph and, and all kinds of intense religious, uh, visions that were kind of uh they're intense but they're they have a uh, certain heretical aspects to them that were freaking me out too in the moment i just knew that we were in spiritual delusion i could tell that we were falling into spiritual delusion i had this glimpse of just like clarity in the midst of the chaos where i was like you know what what the heck am i doing here i don't know what we're doing here but i know one thing for sure we need to get the heck out of here and i and i grabbed my wife and they were trying, there was someone in the room like watching over us as we were trying to go to bed. And that was also very awkward. It was just very, it just didn't feel right. And I'm not saying they were trying to do anything to that regard, but it, it didn't feel right. And it wasn't, wasn't a sacred spiritual ceremony that I thought it was going into it. And I grabbed my wife and I start heading outside and I end up during this whole process, I'm, I'm grabbing my wife. I'm trying to get her outside. We're kind of in like, it doesn't look very smooth i'm like trying to get her to go and she's like struggling a little bit because she's in her own different dimension and we're both kind of throughout this the course of the night we're both kind of in and out of consciousness into reality and out of reality and kind of carrying each other through the through the whole experience so thank god that uh for the way it panned out because i don't know how i would have got through it without her there and uh, vice versa so I bring her outside and I, I'm, I'm, I become like mute. I can't speak at this point. I can't speak. I can't communicate. There's all these people around me saying, Mark, Mark, what are you doing? You guys can't, you guys can't leave. You're on a very high dose of this and that, you know, and uh, there, there's just people like kind of start attacking me to it. And I can't really talk. I'm just in a very deep, deep psychedelic state. And I'm kind of kneeling on the ground, I start kneeling and I start like, trying to do my my yogic meditation and I'm trying to calm down because that's what I used to do to calm down I'm doing I'm just kneeling down trying to stay calm and I'm breathing doing some breathing exercises and um there's this voice in my head 
telling me this like this demonic voice comes and it's telling me and it starts wiping almost my memories clean and, and wiping the memory of my son and I, had a, I have a son who's named malachi and um i start losing this memory it's like pulling this memory out of my brain and it's saying if you want to remember your son you need to jump in the fire it was like it, it makes no sense thinking back on this but in the moment it made all the sense in the world sounded like the, the best idea ever and I I don't know what it, it didn't really sound like the best idea ever but I felt like I, all I knew is I was freaking out and losing the memory of my son and I and I I didn't know what to do and I was I was falling into psychosis basically is what was happening I was falling into a kind of almost like a disassociative state of of being that you can fall into from doing these these uh, very strong psychedelics such as detura things of that nature where you're just like you don't even know what's happening you can't tell reality from fiction anymore that's basically where I had gotten to so I stand up I go over to the fire the fire's still going on actually at this point it's very late into the night there's still a couple people around the fire and I look up at the moon and I howl at the moon and then I jump I, I swan dive into the fire and I'm just laying there on my stomach in the fire and one of the dudes comes and picks me up out of it I get up and I brush myself off and I'm, and I'm kind of cleaning some of the fire off and I, and I look around and I'm like, it was almost like I came back into my body at that point where I came back to reality, jumping in the fire. And I, and I'm like, wow, did that really happen? And from there, I come out I'm trying to calm down. There's a gentleman trying to calm me down. He's real. He was being cool. There was like one cool dude there. A lot of other people, we <laughs> It wasn't going very smoothly with, especially at this point, obviously, I, I jumped in, a, I swan dived in a fire. So it was all like, it was very chaotic at this point, as you can imagine. And another gentleman comes up and he's trying to tell me how to breathe. And he's, he's like kind of talking down to me in a very, uh, and, and I'm still having problems communicating. Of course, I was just mute a second ago and now I can speak again, but I'm just out of it. And um, he ends up kind of bucking up on me at one point. I don't know how to explain it, but it looked like he was going to swing or, or do something of that nature. So I just kind of hit him. I remember hitting him in that, in that moment. I don't know if I really made the decision to do it. It almost felt like something grabbed my hand and hit him. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that, what really happened in that moment, but I, I remember hitting the gentleman. I couldn't even see his face. I was, I was hallucinating so hard. I couldn't see his face. It was a blur, but I hit him and it broke my hand. I didn't know my hand was broken in the moment. And then, uh, Another gentleman tackled me from the side and I had a couple people on me wrestling around. Basically, from there, we, we, they ended up threatening to call the police after a little bit more talking and bickering and trying to figure things out. They threatened to call the police, the local native police. And my wife was like, you know what, we're just going to get out of here. And we ended up taking off. We were barefoot. We left a lot of our stuff there and we ended up going back and getting it a few days later. And um, we drove home on um, 15 grams of mushrooms through the middle of the night. I think it was about 3.30 a.m., which is a very unique time. And yeah, we drove home till the sunset. And I remember watching the sunset in that car and just and coming home to my children and, and feeling relief unlike any relief I'd ever felt in my life. And um, shortly after that, it was almost like God providentially just kind of plopped on my lap the uh, Church of the Eternal Logos 
podcast with uh, hosted by David Patrick Harry, who also came out of the New Age. He used to have a big channel in uh, that was big on New Age, tons, thousands and thousands of followers, and then kind of just jumped over very quickly at one point to Orthodox Christianity. And uh, he had a very, I could relate a lot to what he was speaking on and in the, in the, in the ideologies he came from with uh, the whole Carl Jung thing. I was deep into Carl Jung and the Red Book and uh, shadow work and, uh, you know, delving into the subconscious mind and things of this nature. And um, his, his podcast in particular with your mate, Tom, your mate, Tom was speaking about an ayahuasca experience that he had that was very similar and reminiscent of my high dose mushroom ceremony where he kind of had this, it was just very dark and demonic. And, and I recommend anybody checking out that episode if they get a chance. Uh, your mate, Tom, he's not Orthodox, but he was inquiring at the time and then kind of veered off back into uh, more new age spirituality, which is, I'm pretty sure he's back in that. But um, yeah, so that was kind of the beginning of my journey to Orthodoxy and coming out of the new age. Wow, that's, it's really interesting and neat. And I also find it fascinating how descriptive you were um, of all that that whole event. And I, I'm really curious, you know, now we live in a time where, you know, psychedelic mushrooms are becoming more mainstream, like they're legalized in, um, in Colorado and I think in Wyoming, maybe, or Oregon. And yeah. also Massachusetts, where I live, is also working towards legalizing them as well or decriminalizing them which honestly on a political level uh, I, I agree with the decriminalization like people shouldn't have to go to jail for that but at the same time yeah. you know obviously there's some serious concerns when it comes to making it accessible to the to the public in a legal way um, there's some concerns there but it's fascinating how you know the consciousness of society is changing I mean and uh, but I'm curious like you know, what, what was going through your mind when you first started getting into psychedelics? Was, did it, did it just like, was it, I guess it has to, oh. do, I, 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 I guess what I'm looking for is like, you know, in a sense, I kind of want to know what is new ageism? And obviously that looks different. That might look like many different things, you know? And, yeah. But I, I've noticed when it comes to new age spirituality, it seems like psychedelics are pretty common. Um, mm -hmm. and, but using them in like the spiritual sense rather than like you know you have a lot of people who use psychedelic drugs in like a party sense like just a right for you know have a fun time but then but then it kind of gets scarier when people use it start using it for a spiritual sense like they're trying to they're actually seeking out something that is probably uh can be rather dark at times but i was curious like what was going through your mind at those times like yeah during the time when I started coming back to psychedelics from a more like uh, taking it more seriously and trying to delve into it from a more spiritual perspective or what I, I, it was, I genuinely thought that the mushrooms were like the manna from heaven dropped to the, the Israelites. I thought that I was on to like the original Eucharist. I was looking for the original church of Christ. I was looking for like, is there something before Catholicism? I was looking for, like, I, I thought somewhere along the way, 
from my experiences with Catholicism growing up in it and just the fruit of what it's become today, people seeing where we are with the Pope and Vatican II, and I mean, you can go on and on. I don't want to like rag too much on Catholicism, but the, I think the fruit of, of, of that situation speaks for itself. So I was looking for orthodoxy, but I didn't know it. Really what I was doing, I was looking for orthodoxy. I was looking for the original church spoke of in Acts. And uh, it's interesting in Acts, it's, they, it even says in Antioch, that's where we were first called Christians. Where Christians were first called Christians is in Antioch. And I ended up finding an Antiochian Orthodox Christian church near me through Church of Eternal Logos because David Patrick Harry himself was Antiochian Orthodox. Also, also Father Josiah Tranum was Antiochian Orthodox. And there just happened to be a parish really close to me, which seemed very providential. And I jumped all over that. And, um, but yeah, going back to the mushrooms, I was, I was genuinely trying to find the original Eucharist. I thought I was, I thought the, the Eucharist was a psychedelic Eucharist back in the old ancient days. That's, I was under this delusion that, through many different readings and, and uh, listening to people like Alan Watts and just delving down these different rabbit holes and areas of uh, new age is very broad and wide, but I think all of it is basically just occultism, different forms of occultism, just kind of like repackaged with like a new look, you know, just a new ribbon on it kind of sprinkled up a little bit, bedazzled up and uh, made to look very innocent. A lot of the time it's made to look, a lot of the time it's made to look very very innocent and loving and just love and love everyone and but a lot of it is conflation of creation and creator where i was looking to a piece of creation for spiritual healing when i should have been looking to christ for spiritual healing and then, and then it, that could be you know other people could say you know we look to herbs and they give us physical healing yeah i could give you physical healing and that can even you know that's a beautiful thing but I was looking to mushrooms for spiritual healing. And that's a whole different ballgame where you're looking to a piece of creation for what you should be looking to the creator himself for. So I think that that's part of the conflation of hierarchy that led to my downfall. Wow, that's it's really interesting. So like during that time when any of the reason, even points that you were were would you consider yourself a Christian at that point, even when you were yeah. all amounts like, yeah, I uh, thought I was Christian, but, and the, and the thing was the theology of the non-denominational was so loose yeah. and I saw people in there. I saw people in that church doing like um, delving into the Hebrew, Hebrew Israelite movement. And I was kind of partially like delving into that myself as too. I went down that rabbit hole too, like where I was just going around, like, you know, like, like very obsessing over like the name of God. I was, I was very like, and there's a lot of really awesome people in the Hebrew Israelite movement. I feel like they're so close to orthodoxy and they've got like, they got like homesteads and they just like, and they, they believe they're onto so many truths. And so there's a lot of like really cool things going on in that movement. And I was, I was a part of that for a while. And there was just like in this non-denominational Protestant, um, theology I was in at the time it was very loose and it left openings for like people to explore lots of different avenues and express their faith in their own kind of ways and the Holy Spirit kind of told different people different things and it, it just it was very free and individual and um I thought I was Christian and I thought I could be Christian and delve into psychedelics and do yoga and all these things I thought I could blend all these things together 
And I thought I was finding through these esoteric practices, these new age practices, I thought I was on to like the original Christianity and these other people just, you know, some of these people just didn't really know. But um, yeah, during that time, I would have considered myself a Christian if someone asked me. That's really fascinating. And, and um, you know, it's interesting. You were mentioning that whole thing about the Eucharist and psychedelics. And I was, you know, I was thinking, I was listening recently, well, maybe about a year ago, I was listening to um, the, I forget what the author's name is, but he wrote this book called The Psychedelic Gospel. Where he, yeah. Um, this research that, that this, there seems to be even in like, such as like some uh, depictions of Jesus with mushrooms or, um, and, or even some speculation that like in, um, in ancient Greece, there were these rituals that people would have, uh, psychedelic rituals that people would have participated in, in, and they speculated maybe even Christians participated with them. I think you could probably argue that Paul, when he was talking about sorcery, was probably talking about those kind of uh, mystical uh, psychedelic experiences that were happening in Greek temples, stuff like that. But I don't know. It's, it's very, it is really fascinating. And, you know, it makes, what makes me wonder from like, I don't know, a wider standpoint or even a medical standpoint is like, you hear these stories of people who had amazing benefits curing their depression and anxiety from um, using it in a, in a clinical study or something like that. It's really, what do, you, what do you think of that? Like, do you think there's room for that or is it not even necessary even to that degree? I don't know if there's room for it, honestly. The thing I've seen personally with, because uh, I was, the group of people I did it with, there was veterans who were dealing with PTSD. And that's a lot of what's marketed as for that particular kind of like what you're speaking to right now. A lot of that's marketed at veterans with PTSD. And um, I still kind of like, I don't, I don't really talk to them personally anymore. I talked to maybe one of those, those same people that was at that ceremony that's in that group. And um, I still keep up on them. I kind of like watch and see what they're, how they're doing these days. And I don't like to sound too judgmental of others and how they're doing spiritually. But if I'm going to be honest with you, every single one of those people is in deep, deep, deep spiritual delusion. And they think, and a lot of them think they're healed. And a lot of them will claim that they're healed. And a lot of them are in such deep pre-less that they don't know what true spiritual healing feels like. And I don't mean to like just totally disregard everybody's like positive experience. I, I mean, I, I'm, I've talked to even some Orthodox people that still struggle with certain positive aspects, maybe artistically that they benefited from in, in, in doing psychedelics and how, it, how they took certain positive aspects of that with them. And there's certain mysterious aspects to that that I, that I don't know if I can totally even break down. And that might even be better for, a, for an Orthodox priest, possibly one with, with some uh, experience in the New Age himself to answer. But that being said, I'm always going to err on the side of caution when it comes to psychedelics, even if it's microdosing, even if it's in a clinical study, because of what I experienced and, and, and what I've seen as anecdotal as it may be that every single person that I've come into contact with, even through internet and talking to these people and the, and the, the 
the spirituality that it leads them to. It's, it's never orthodoxy. It's never like Christ, like, or it'll be like some weird kind of hermetical version of Christ where they're like, yeah, I accept Christ, but it's like this weird kind of like skewed inverted version of Christ, like their own version of Christ. And it, and that's not truth. Truth isn't relative. It doesn't change to you. It's it, truth is, is, is objective and absolute and unchanging. And, and we're, and when we come into contact with it, we should adapt to it, not the other way around. So personally, I'm always going to err on the side of caution when it comes to psychedelics. And I never want to, I don't even want to like play patty cake with that idea personally, just because of my personal experience. And I've seen so many people just, I almost killed myself that night, you know, and is that worth it? Is it worth it to really risk psycho psychosis to supposedly heal yourself when it's like, I think there's better ways to heal yourself. And I think that better way is through orthodoxy, the sacraments, prayer, the Jesus prayer, um, confession, speaking to a spiritual father, getting a spiritual father. I highly recommend people going through anything like that. You know, try to look, look to a, a local Orthodox church and just reach out to a spiritual priest and just ask him any of these questions that these people may have. And I guarantee he will give such a better answer than I'm giving right now. And some things, not everything has an answer too. There's certain aspects that I do I, I love about orthodoxy where they embrace the mystical and they embrace the mysteries of the sacraments and the mysteries of life, which there is mysteries. We can't explain every single thing, but I've never gotten more answers and more clarity than I have from speaking to a spiritual father or a priest in the Orthodox church. So I highly recommend it. That's really cool. I've definitely, I was talking to father Jarmus um, a couple months ago and had a really great conversation with him and he's a cradle Orthodox. So he does not, you know, he's not this uh, um, random guy who converted to it and is kind of like trying to peddle it in some weird way. And, and I find yeah. that's kind of often the case is kind of like these. Uh, I was actually talking to, I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Jerzak, but he's also a. I'm not familiar uh, with him, no. Oh, yeah. He's also from, uh, he converted to Orthodox, but he grew up Baptist and he also had some Pentecostal ties, but. But he really appreciates Father Jarmus, and he, he mentioned that there's kind of like these uh, uh, kind of types of Orthodox folks who kind of are bringing their Protestant baggage with them, and he calls it like right Eastern right evangelicalism. Right. Basically. Like, <laughs> or, yeah, it's like weird, this weird mix. But you know, it's interesting because with a lot of Orthodox churches and whatnot you kind of have this uh almost ethnic tie to it not necessarily division but more just like you know and, and a lot of it has to do with you know there's ethnic groups yeah. that when they came to america they came as a group um and so you have like your armenian orthodox church and your russian orthodox your albanian orthodox your greek orthodox even in worcester massachusetts central mass where i live we have a few we we have an Albanian Orthodox, we have a Greek Orthodox, I think we also have an Armenian as well. But um, so it's nice. like interesting these divisions um that come across ethnicity. But anyway, my point was um I'm really fascinated with Eastern Orthodoxy. I don't feel called necessarily to convert to it, but at the same time, I feel like there's a very a big wealth of and richness. Um, especially, you know. From what I heard from your story, it seems like you've been always been seeking 
kind of the spiritual transcendence or spiritual connection with the divine, with God. And what I like about Eastern Orthodoxy is that it offers that contemplative side of spirituality that is not a lot of times in Protestantism, especially on more conservative Protestant uh, sides, you have it's more intellectual, propositional, like, oh, we know all these truths about God and, and um and we predict or, or we have we have we know how how the end times are going to work out or whatever they're all right times and uh rapture the rapture yeah dispensationalism and stuff like that so and systematic theology is a big thing in those kind of circles especially like reformed reckless young reckless and reformed circles so so what's fascinating i think from an eastern orthodox perspective is that it's a it's a church that's lasted two thousand years no doubt about it and you also have a rich history of contemplative practices. You have the Jesus prayer, which, you know, I'm not a or season Orthodox, but I love the Jesus prayer. And I, and I try to use it as often as I can, just like even just sitting, spending some time alone with God and, and praying that, um, uh, but also, um, yeah, I mean, the sacrament is a much more mystical experience than in protestantism too where protestantism is just like this ritual that's symbolic but but in protestantism and and i'll give it to catholics too they they also um you know have a high view of although obviously they think of it more of a, in a mechanistic mechanical like um i don't know academic way where they're trying to understand it scientifically Whereas Orthodox are like, no, it's a mystery, but it's real and it's life-giving. And that's something that I, I really appreciate and I really want I really want that to become more a part of Protestant church experience if, if, if they even um, allow it, you know, it, it, but it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, so I guess before we move on from the topic of new age, how about you tell me a little bit like, what do you, what do you think is new age? Like what, um, what are some characteristics of it and how do people get pulled into it? I think a lot of people get pulled into it through seeking God and through being disillusioned from Protestantism a lot of the time, like wanting that, that mystery, that spirit, that deeper spiritual connection, that real something raw, real spiritual that they're not getting because they don't have the sacraments maybe in, or, or maybe a limited varied version of the sacraments, depending on which Protestant denomination they're, they're engaging in. And um, I think that's what I was looking for. I was looking for the, the original Eucharist. I had experienced the Eucharist in the, the Catholic church as a child. And um, I had, I'd experienced the Protestant churches and, and just the kind of lack of sacraments there. And I was, I was looking, I was trying to, I think I was trying to find my own sacrament through the, the mushrooms. And I think a lot of these people get sucked in through that are genuinely searching for the truth. A lot of these people get sucked in through the truther movements through like Owen Benjamin circles through like the bears and bear Terrier and like the flat earth. And like, there's all different ways you can kind of get sucked in and, and you know, and like, I'm not saying there's not a lot of truths to some of these things. I'm not even saying that they're not true. But I'm saying a lot of weird stuff out there. There's one that I I I don't know if you're familiar with. Have you ever heard of like Akashic Records or something like that? Akashic like, Records, which is like a place that you can tap into through like astral yeah. projection and kind well, of things of that nature. With, 
um, ancient alien civilizations that they believe that there were ancient alien civilizations on the earth and that there are ancient alien civilizations in other parts of the, the universe or galaxies and like that guy edward casey the the psychic dude or whatever like he would supposedly tap into the the akashic records to heal people and like do like perform um surgeries that he had no way of knowing how to perform supposedly supposedly that's what the story of edward casey was that he would tap into them through these like in-between kind of states that i was trying to get into through mugwort and uh, things of that nature like this in-between awake and asleep state and I was trying to mess around with that and, and kundalini yoga and meditation. And I was looking into, I was, I was even delving into not dabbling in black magic, but just kind of looking into it because I had someone close to me that I felt like we were coming into a clash with, and I didn't know if they were trying to use witchcraft on me. And I started looking into witchcraft to try to protect myself from witchcraft which, you know, looking back, not the greatest idea, but that's what I was doing. I was like, I'm gonna learn witchcraft, you know, so I can know the signs and maybe I don't know what, I didn't know what to do. I just felt so out of my element. And um, I'm so glad that I found orthodoxy because that's really the best way to combat anything of that nature is what I'm finding is uh, the Jesus prayer, humility, um, you know, holy water, like these, these, uh, these other minor sacraments, kind of like these, these other aspects that just so much depth and so many so many tools and, and weapons to fight genuine demonic activity with and um i'm just happy i'm really i'm really glad that i found that because that's what i was looking for i was looking for orthodoxy in all the wrong places and a lot of people i feel like are looking for if not that something very similar i feel like a lot of people are looking for the original church and they've been disillusioned with with maybe more like business what people can call as business church or like a more you know kind of shallow form of spirituality or christianity that they become disillusioned with which i think a lot of people are going through right now it's weird because i feel like there's actually a lot of overlap with the word of faith movement too and it's kind of like this big there's this big emphasis on self-help and self-empowerment And, you know, I think also people who fall into it tend to be people being trauma and, and who are also kind of outsiders. Sometimes they kind of get picked off kind of like a, if you're talking about like a herd of sheep, you know, it's the kind of ones that are on the outskirts that get picked off by a wolf. You know, it's very interesting to think about it that way. Um, but yeah. And yeah, a lot of it has to do with like that kind of self-help seeking, kind of seeking some sort of transcendence, seeking healing. Yeah, but it's like looking for love in all the wrong places. Very fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's any more I could say about that or if I didn't have any other questions about that. But Oh, I was thinking about um, when you were explaining your experience when you took 15 grams of mushrooms, which sounds like a really bad well here's here's one thing here's one thing i one thing i want to say like yeah a lot of it is like self-love it's presented as like self-love and self-esteem oh yeah and i did i did an interview with a buddy of mine who's also orthodox and he had a good quote from his spiritual father that we should never and this is going to sound harsh to a lot of people but i I think it's powerful and there's wisdom in it that we should never focus on self-esteem we should always give all our our esteem should be for christ and I, was, I always thought that was such a powerful statement and just kind of a way to flip a lot of the, the ways that the world looks at things on its head, kind of back to the way, because I believe the world is, is, is inverted, right? Especially right now. And a lot of the views that they're pushing, it's almost like a way to re-invert the inversion back to the right way, if that makes sense, you know? You know but yeah, you I just wanted to say about, that. 
you mentioned something about New Age being a reaction to Protestantism. And it's interesting that, you know, you're... Kind of, yeah, father, for a lot of that, people. Father, father mentioned that, you know, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be wanting to esteem ourselves more than Christ, right? But at the yeah. same time, the Orthodox Church has a much beautifuler and more loving view of God, the Father, you know, whereas especially in Calvinist circles, which are... Oh, yeah, no. Which, you know, you have a very, <laughs> a very angry and... Yeah, no. Um, no, I'm not saying also, that we should, like, hate ourselves or, yeah. like, punish ourselves or that God wants to punish us, but I'm also... But there's a... There is a balance definitely in between, like, Calvinism and, like, orthodoxy. Like, I I tend to to lean towards some of the more harsher teachings just because I came out of such a loose background where i was so I, that's what i need i need strict discipline like bloom like i don't like i don't i don't i don't need like the like the scale of like i i, I need kind of like a sharp like this is it and this and there's and there's room for nuance of course but i try to stay kind of narrow-minded narrow-sided especially right now just coming as fresh as i am into the faith i feel like it's important for me as a spiritual protection to stay as humble as I can and just really focused. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the same thing for everyone. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking about myself, you know, I grew up with very harsh views of the end times, very harsh views of God, very harsh views of hell and like understanding God as like a really, you know, if you make one mistake, you're done, you know, and, and kind of having that feeling that at any point you could slip and, and fall, which you know, I'm sure there is some sort of wisdom in there in terms of the fear of the Lord, like having a healthy fear of God. But I think that's what right. it is. Like we need a healthy fear of God, but it doesn't mean we need to view God as like this abusive, toxic father, you know, where yeah, no, not he at might all. Love me, he might not, you know, God always acts in love towards us. Right. Wouldn't you agree? And I would and I think agree. Yes. I think that's something that's really beautiful about the Catholic the Orthodox faith as well, is that it has a much more loving view of God and a much less coercive God as well. And, and also in terms of like the atonement and whatnot too, you know, in, in the Protestantism, the main idea of atonement is penal substitutionary atonement, but in, in Orthodox terms, um, it's, that's considered heresy, right. In, uh, in some ways, or, or maybe it's just like, you know, I think also Eastern Orthodox and Protestant people, they're, they're, they're thinking, differently you know in terms of atonement uh, they're they're on different planes of thought but um yeah i mean it's very interesting what do, what are your thoughts on atonement like how should we understand it rightly like and then for those who are listening that may not know atonement is basically talking about what did what did jesus accomplish when he died on the cross that's essentially what we're talking about what atonement yeah is. Right. From the from the Orthodox perspective, from what I know in my limited knowledge, the what Christ accomplished on the cross was conquering death through death. So basically. He's he's giving us the opportunity. To to conquer death ourselves, he's, he's opening up the opportunity for us to enter into everlasting life with him, and he's 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 conquering death through death and the, and the thing with the hell aspect of like orthodoxy and their view on on 
God, the Father, and how we end up in hell is usually more of, from what I understand, this is actually, it's a, it's a complicated subject that's definitely best for a priest to answer. But from my perspective, what I understand in terms of the Orthodox theology on this subject of hell, it would be more based on us. It's like a personal responsibility of us turning away from God, not just in sin, but like, because God's still there if we sin, as long as we're repentant. It's, it's turning away from God in sin with pride, sinning with pride as there's a saying by St. Augustine, uh, it was pride that turned angels into devils and it's humility that makes men as angels. And basically we can't be angels because angels are a separate being than humans who were made, who were, they were glorifying the creation of man and creation with God when we were created. But that's like a whole different thing. But yeah. So how it's more of a disposition that we have towards God. That's the way I understand it, right? Because because there's also this the difference with hell in um, classic theism, maybe you could call it, or Western theology is that I think of hell as the separation, this this other place. Um, whereas in Eastern, they understand it that all people are it's it's the presence of God's love. Yeah. But to those who hate God, it's 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 torture, it's torment. And to those right. who hate God, it's bliss. Yeah. And basically you show your love for God through repentance and through genuine repentance. And and um yeah, it's basically like we're both in the same, we're both gonna experience God after death. It's just like like a like a sword in the flame, basically. Like if it's like if the metal's dirty, the flame's gonna burn these this dirtiness off of it we're almost like a sword being put into the to the to the fire to be molded and i don't know if there's it almost offers up this this there's people that talk about do people have the opportunity to get out of hell or you know and that's a that's a mysterious aspect that i would definitely offer up to an orthodox priest with more theological understanding than myself but it's the understanding of hell from an orthodox perspective is definitely we're not in two separate places, but that we're both experiencing God's love from two different perspectives, one from a repentant perspective and one from a prideful perspective. Basically, it's kind of like, you know, if you there's someone that you really love and. And because you love them, when they shower you with their love. You. Um, you you feel the bliss in the experience of their love but like imagine someone that you really hurt and they're right. loving you unconditionally that would yeah. be like it would be like like torment it would be like when, hell when someone that yeah it would be like hell <laughs> <laughs> right. like when someone that you really hurt and someone that really shouldn't love you is loving you it feels it hurts it's like that uh and and it does make me wonder because what is the logical um, you know, I don't know, the logical end of being, being, um, you know, pummeled by God's love eternally, you think that at some point your will would, and that's what people like Gregory of Nyssa and Maximus the Confessor talks about this concept of the will being healed, healing our wills, and, and it, it is interesting, I was talking to Friar, uh, my father Jarmus about this and he said that there is a history of a history of, of tradition within the Eastern Orthodox Church of 
a possibility of postmortem repentance, which is really fascinating. Because like in Protestantism, you know, because of revivalism and that kind of that form of right evangelicalism or um, where you have to make a decision tonight. And if you don't make that decision tonight, where are you going to end up? You know, um, so it's all it all puts the onus on us in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, well, I have to ascend to God somehow, which is ironic because also at the same time, well, you're only saved by grace through faith. So it's like, which right. is it? Am, am I saved by grace through faith? Or am I saved by, I don't know, spirit, uh, somehow ascending to God? No. And we're that, never, we're, we're like never really saved. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, well, that's the, it's like, well, I never want to, I, I feel like that would come from pride. Like thinking I'm saved any particular day, any particular moment, like I'm good for sure. Like, like permanently saved. Like, I feel like that would be a prideful notion to attach myself to. Yeah. And it would lead to a harsh wake up call from God and, yeah. and the truth and reality. And it, and it tends to, and I, I see a lot of people going through that right now. And some of them get suicidal and some of them, you know, go through this existential crisis, this like midlife crisis thing where they just really are disillusioned with everything and don't know where to go and what to trust anymore. And um, it's interesting, but theosis from the, from the Orthodox perspective is a lifelong process of coming into union with God and becoming becoming as close as we can get to to christ and as close as we can get to god and, and chasing after that and it's a lifelong process and it's not a raise your hand when the smoke machine's going off or whatever it may be and you, you come up to the front and and there's this moment of you know emotional and and then you're saved it's like you know this like saved by faith alone and these and the it even speaks in the book of james i remember going to bible studies at the at these uh protestant denominations this non-denominational church and i would bring it up the book of james how it says faith without works is dead and it's just very clear on it and it's and they never liked the book of james i remember martin luther wanted the book of james actually removed from the bible and uh yeah he got into an argument with his apprentice with his assistant over that and um i think it's telling it's it's it, there's a reason why because it's very very clear the book of james that and it's not to say that we're saved by works or that we're saved by faith. It's like faith and works are in unison. They're inseparable. And these Protestants are trying to like separate them and make them fight each other. And it's like, nah, these are, this is one, it's, it's, they are connected. They're in unison. They're inseparable and they work hand in hand. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's been something that's, I've really been meditating on uh, past few years as well. And like, um, it kind of, it's like, it can either go two, one of two ways. It can either be um, really moralistic and legalistic, or it can be just totally free grace where it's like, oh, I'm saved by grace through faith, so I can do whatever I want. You know, it can go one of two ways, but it's really somewhere in the middle. Like, we're yeah. great. And Paul's actually very clear when he says in Ephesians, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not a work of your own, lest anybody boast. Exactly. And then, and then he goes on to to do to talk about why we're saved for what and he's talking about four good works for the sake of good works so like, exactly so it's all in it's all connected it's, it's all, all in connected. unison yeah. and i think what what a product what maybe even a reformed or protestant um person would say is like well we can't misunderstand james he's not saying that we're saved because of our works but rather that the works are a fruit of our salvation and 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 our 
even if like we're never fully united with God in this life, um, just that initial we're we're becoming saved, you know, that that initial being in Christ and in His body and in His church, um, that um, from that point, then good works are gonna be a natural fruit of that, or they should be. You you'd think you you know the, like the Jesus rule is. Um, you'll know them by their fruit, right? Right. You know, it's a really interesting topic. I mean, speaking about new age, um, you know, you have folks like like uh, Richard Rohr and, and many others who are really, I think they're really, um, you know, I have conflicted feelings about Richard Rohr and, and those type of people because I think there is some great wisdoms in there but there probably is some errors as well and you have this concept that seems pretty new but it's this concept of the cosmic christ or it kind of bifurcates christ and christ from you know the person the human of christ that or uh, the human of jesus that the historical jesus was a part of christ but isn't like uh, i don't know if you're familiar with that you're familiar with Richard Rohr, I believe, did he do a couple podcasts? Is he, is he, does he come on the Jonathan Pajot symbolic world? He might. Uh, or is that somebody, is he, is he Orthodox? No, he's Franciscan Catholic. Oh, okay. Very, yeah, I'm not familiar with him. I'd say very progressive, but I, is I was he very, Asian? Is he an Asian gentleman? No, he's, no, he's from, okay. uh, he lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm he, not he familiar runs, with him. There's this uh, organization called the Center for Action and Contemplation, which, you know, I think there's a lot of great things about that because the contemplative part aspect of Christianity, like we need to get back to that. And I think a lot of Protestants are actually really hungry for that. You have the work of this guy, John Eldridge, and he's been pushing. Um, he has this app that he developed called the, the Pause app, and it's all about spending time with in solitude with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and whatnot. So. I mean, the contemplative side of Christianity, it's, I think it's pretty universal, ubiquitous to Christianity within certain circles. But, but anyway, I was just curious if in your new age time, if you had ever um, encountered stuff like Richard Rohr, kind of talking weird Christologies, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I encountered um, a lot of a lot of people basically kind of like like you'd bring up christ to them and be like yeah i believe in like christ and it would be like this christ consciousness kind of thing it would be like it would be like christ is like is like this this higher like your higher self is basically christ christ is basically like some dude it would be like this the the concept that i most commonly came into contact with in the new age would be like Christ was like a yogi. He was just a human, just like me and you. And he was a yogi and he found his higher self. And like he attained this higher self. And he, he, you know, through those those 40 days in the desert, he was just out there meditating and fasting. He was just doing yogic practices. And he has these lost years when he traveled to India and he learned yoga from some yogi. And he came back and he he found his higher self. And we can all attain this, this same state of being. We can all look within and find our own inner Christ basically would be this, the Christology that I most commonly came into contact with in, um, in yoga and new age and all these different circles. A lot of them, you'll bring up Christ and they'll be like, yeah, I, I acknowledge the reality of Christ, you know, and I, 
<laughs> it's so funny they'll, they'll never say lord jesus christ is my lord and savior but they'll say yeah like you'll ask them is, is jesus christ king of kings lord of lords and they they won't say that but they'll be like they'll maybe answer it in a roundabout way yeah no i acknowledge the reality of jesus christ and then they'll spew some maybe something that you've never heard before that sounds kind of weird and jesus hermetic. Is guru. right yeah and it's it, it basically a lot of it is just kind of like luciferian in, in it in its in its viewpoints of like uh it's it, like looking to yourself as a god basically is, is is what i see it as looking back on it now and um even in the moment of that stuff i didn't really i never really latched too much onto the like i could become christ and christ was just a guy like i didn't i didn't really latch onto that delusion too much so thanks be to god for <laughs> protecting me from falling into that that um bit of pre-less but i had enough other spiritual delusions to deal with that uh kept me busy during that time i i had meant it i'm kind of going all over the place forgive me so i was just no thinking worries. back i had meant to ask you this earlier but you had mentioned something about you really got into detail about your uh experience with the 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 mega dose of shrooms and uh the fire yeah. experience and it was interesting did you have any interpretation of of those things that you saw like the oh yeah the alligator and oh yeah 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 i meant to i meant to come back to that yeah dude um so the alligator the alligator head it's interesting there's a there's an icon right behind me and it's called the ladder of divine ascent by uh, saint john climacus and in this icon there's saint john climacus and he's sitting in a cave and he's writing the ladder of divine ascent which is a spiritual writing that he wrote and it shows these angels basically bringing the wisdom to him that he wrote down and also in this icon is a ladder and at the bottom of the ladder is this is fire and a beast mouth like just like the beast mouth like an alligator or a serpent head like That's a dragon creepy. head <laughs> yeah it is creepy yeah tell what me about it later i'm sorry you i could discover that I, image later yeah yeah no we yeah I, I discovered that image after coming to orthodoxy and um getting into orthodoxy through church of eternal logos father josiah trenum and all these different people and then visiting the antiochian orthodox church in person and i went to the bookstore and there's icons at the bookstore and i found that icon and, I, and my wife was like that's what i saw at the Wonkish." and I, i'm getting goosebumps right now yeah she's the she one that saw, saw the alligator head she's the one that saw the alligator head in the womb okay. she had the that vision and when she saw the icon with me at the at the bookstore at the antiochian orthodox church she's like that's what i saw and i bought that icon and it's from legacy icons and i brought it home and i put it on my wall and i prayed to it i pray i don't pray to the icon but i pray in front of my i pray in front of my icon corner and um they're seen as like a window to heaven. Like we don't worship the icon, but we venerate the icons and they're a window into heaven and also a mirror into yourself and a, and a place for self-reflection. And it's just, a, I think it's beautiful to surround myself with these, these godly images that help remind me what path I'm on. And especially that image right there, the, that icon, the, the ladder of divine ascent, it's like, it's theosis. That ladder is theosis. Yeah. And what happens when I fall off is I fall into the, the beast mouth. 
those flames that I fell in that night. Oh. And it, you know, it's, it's a physical experience that I had, but it's also very spiritually symbolic. Did moving you burn forward. yourself? Like you must've burnt your chest. I burnt myself. Yeah, I did burn myself, but I didn't burn myself as bad as one would have expected watching it. You know, it looked crazy. I burnt myself down here on my hip a little, and I burnt myself up here near my chest a little and uh, my elbows. It was, it was worse before I had some pictures that I actually showed on my, on my channel in my last interview. I did a slideshow and I showed some pictures when I was speaking of this, the same experience, um, actually showed some pictures of, of the, the burn wounds shortly after. That's crazy. I mean, I guess they're like, they're probably, you probably still have the scars and it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Don't play with fire. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, exactly. The, the, they'll be there to remind me for the rest of my life of, of that experience. And, uh, I don't think I'd forget it either way, but it's definitely singed into my flesh <laughs> that is, I mean, it really is remarkable that like she had the image of the crocodile the, the alligator head and the flames like coming out of the flames yeah and, and it, then you see that in the icons i mean it is also a great uh segue to talk about icon iconograph iconography or iconography, iconography yeah, yeah, yeah. um because you know that's something obviously that's like protestants were kind of bland we're, we're not very artistic i guess you know and it's weird because, you know, I, I've been realizing and I've, I've something I've always intrinsically known. Beauty is a sacrament. I think beauty is a means of grace to experience God. He fills beauty. And that's why we're so drawn to beauty. And right. also, you know, I think something that a lot of people don't realize that there was a time in, in much of church history where most people were probably illiterate. Right. So a lot of their education was through icons. Right. Yes. There's so much, yeah. yeah, There's so much that can be communicated spiritually just through the image, the images of icons. And uh, my favorite, my favorite quote about icons is uh, it goes longer than I'll go, but it's the basis of it is, and it's from um, Saint John, Saint John Damascene, Saint John of Damascus, and it goes, uh, "I don't worship matter. I worship the God of matter, who became matter." for my salvation. I thought that was the best defense of iconography against the iconoclast. That's what he actually said in defense. He, I think he was speaking to iconoclasts when he said that, the people that destroyed the icons back in the day. And um, yeah, man, there's, I don't think there's a better defense for iconography than that. But he goes on and he, he articulates the rest of it. And it's just very beautiful talking about how because of the incarnation, we have the image of God now and it's, it's Christ. And we're keeping this image alive through the Pantocrator icon, which is very beautiful, where it has these two different like natures of Christ in one image. It shows if you show one side of his face, it represents the human nature. The other side represents the divine nature. That's such a powerful, that's the first image of of Christ that we have, the Pantocrator icon, the old one. But um, yeah. That's really cool. I, um, what was I going to say? Oh, you know, for me, you know, something I've always struggled with, and, and obviously this is really pretty unique to Protestantism, also a product of history. Like you had the Gutenberg press that was invented in might have been sometime in Germany, and you had the first Bibles printed and distributed to lay people in their vernacular. So the Protestant, a big part of the Protestant reform was due you know, oftentimes 
Did I lose you? I you were cutting out for a second there, but I think I I couldn't hear all of the all of what you were saying right there. Yeah, so basically, the Gutenberg press in history made it so that the Bible is now available to everybody in their vernacular, and they can read it and oftentimes come up with their own their own interpretations, which is probably not a good idea um, in a lot of ways, uh, which I'm starting to realize more. And But for me personally, I've always struggled to be a reader. I've always struggled with reading comprehension. Not that like, I don't think I have like a disability. I think it's just my brain just doesn't function that way. So, um, you know, with me, images are much more, they, they carry much more weight for me. So I actually bought like a little icon of Jesus holding a lamb because I think it's a really beautiful picture, like the good shepherd, you know? Um, right. I think it's just like a really meaningful for me to, um, you know, envision and imagine Jesus as, you know, a good shepherd who cares for his sheep, you know? Um, but like, I can understand, like for me, reading just doesn't really stick in my brain as much. I actually love listening to podcasts. And yeah, that's why I do podcasting because I, I I love listening. And what I do too is I these conversations that I have, I go back and listen to them again because you know you can never really absorb everything in the moment. And it's great having these conversations documented. But yeah, I think there's something really beautiful about images, and and to me it, it's much more meaningful. Um, than words, um, which, you know, I think we have to be open because everybody has their own learning styles, their own, their own brains and the way God made them. Um, so everybody, everybody has to have their own means of grace, their own, their own way of, their own little sacrament in a sense. Um, right. And that can look different for other different people, but that's really cool about the icons. And then, you know, were there any, in terms of Orthodox doctrine theology and whatnot you know there's a lot of stuff that like to protestants is pretty fruity and uh i was just wondering like was there anything that like kind of that you've struggled with doctrinally with eastern orthodox um let's see honestly no like everything everything clicked like like when i found orthodoxy it was like I was almost mad at myself for like not finding it earlier. I was almost just like, this is what I've been looking for. This whole, that whole psychedelic thing, the new age thing, the yoga thing, the Protestant thing, even the Catholic thing. When I was a young kid, like all of this was just like, it, it all of it, it, everything I found in orthodoxy made all the, all the puzzle pieces just kind of started fitting together in ways that I can't even it brought everything together into clarity as much as it can from a human perspective, from, from the perspective, I feel like how much we're supposed to know. I feel like there's certain things we're not supposed to understand. And that's where the mystery, the mystery aspect comes in of, of orthodoxy. And I, I embrace that. And I think it's humbling to embrace that. I think it's humbling to our human egos because we want to understand and be able to explain theologically and intellectually everything. But then there's this aspect of just, there's a part where you kind of have to turn off your mind and just kind of, delve into your your heart and and pray from a very real raw genuine place and just kind of put these practices into life and just and just live it 
and truly live the orthodox way before it can even really start making sense too as well like it doesn't make sense if you're doing if you're, if you're just studying it from the outside and not living it it can it maybe it'll make some sense and maybe it'll inspire some people to step further but for, you can only take that so far if the if the intellect isn't in balance with the noose and the practice and the and the actual prayer life and the attending of liturgy and things of that nature so I hope no, that makes sense. It does, it does make me think of, you know, the words of Jesus that are in the original Greek, which obviously like the Greek, the Orthodox church started with the Greek people, right? The Greek church. And you have, um, you have, um, you know, in Greek, the word for knowing is a lot more precise than, than in English. So like, in English, to know, so you can know something intellectually, but you can also know someone in a deep, intimate sense. And and in Greek, you have both meanings. You have, I think, oida is is the one for just knowing something on an intellectual, like propositionally. Um, and I feel like a lot of times, in a lot of Protestant circles, but I'm sure even in Catholic and even in Orthodox circles too, there's people who kind of just you know they they ascend propositionally to a faith or an idea and, but they don't really experience it in an intimate way. They don't really have that kind of encounter with Jesus maybe, or maybe they just don't know that they do. But then you have the other word gnosto, which is like more knowing it and experiencing it and living it. And that's, what's kind of, I kind of like that idea that, you know, liturgical style churches are much more, um, they're much more about the rhythms of life and it's much more integrated into your lived life rather than like the service you go to once a week and then you go home and you forget about it. It's much more exactly lived because you've got, you've got, you know, you've got your fasting on what, Monday and Wednesday, and then you've got all these, you know, different saints that you're commemorating throughout the week. And then you've got, you know, you can do a, go to a Vespers or go to, you know, there's these different services throughout the week as well. And just all these aspects that are integrated deeply into your lifestyle that carry through the week. And um, yeah, I love, I love the Greek language and I would love to learn it more myself. And I've been wanting to pick up a Septuagint, Old Testament Septuagint and uh, maybe an English translation because I don't speak Greek, obviously, but just uh, for the accuracy and just to get more in tune with that from a, from a proper perspective, because there's differences between the Septuagint text and the uh, Masoretic Hebrew text where certain things have been skewed in the Masoretic Hebrew that are written differently in the Septuagint. So yeah, that's something I definitely want to delve into too. And I also love the, the term for the mother of God, the Theotokos, which means the mother of God, basically. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I love that term and yeah, it's just, it's just so, there's so much depth and richness and beauty in, in orthodoxy in general and, and, uh, and across all these different, you know, there is, it, it seems like it's separated, but honestly, it's, it's really not because we're all in communion with, and you may experience, like if you go to a Greek church, not all of them are going to be super welcoming just to be upfront, you know, just from what I've heard of other people i haven't been to a greek church myself some of them will be super welcoming some of them like may not be 
you know, some of it just, it, it depends. But the thing is, on a, on a whole, the jurisdiction to, to, to Orthodox and people that are being true to the faith, is, it, it doesn't matter. The jurisdictionalism is just, it's because it, we're all, they're in, it's an invisible line that doesn't really separate us because we're all in communion through the, the faith that we share, the theology that we share, and, and, and the actual church of apostolic succession down the line from Christ and the apostles. And, and also the mystical body of Jesus, you know? Um, yeah, which, exactly. It's the, it's, that's what the church is. Yeah. And that's what we are. And that's, and there, there really is no, there, there isn't as much separation as it seems like And the beauty. And the beautiful thing about the Antiochian church is like, it's actually very diverse in a good way not in like a forced diversity kind of way but it's like it's not as ethnically charged as maybe the greek or maybe a serbian or, or some other more culturally where they're where they're um, rooted in one specific culture maybe it's a lot more diverse and there's a lot of different um people from a lot of different backgrounds which is really cool and it's just a, a big a lot of unique stories and people coming together in that church so it's a beautiful thing. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you had mentioned about saints and, and that's another topic that um, we often struggle with, especially in the Protestant side, you know, obviously you have this 15, you had 1500 years of the global historic church commemorating and asking saints for prayer, but then we, the Protestants came around, they're like, I can't find that in my Bible. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I don't know. It's nothing I've, I've never, um, you know, used as a practice, like asking saints to pray for me or, and I think that's one of the things is like a lot of people think you're praying to the saint, meaning like you're asking the saint to do something instead right. of asking, but rather it's asking for their intercession. Right. Is that exactly, exactly. Or, so it's like, like one of the, one of the analogies that's used by a lot of priests or, or people in, in Orthodox would be like, in the way that we ask a family member to pray for us who's alive on earth with us. And I know tons of people that say, hey, they have a family member, they're going through a specific situation. Hey, so-and-so, can you pray that this and this may uh, work out well for me or something to that nature? And it's really the same thing with the saints because the saints, according to the scripture, are still alive in Christ. So we're not praying to the saints as if in place of God, instead of God, or praying to the saints to pray to God because they're closer to God than us. So it's actually a humbling thought. And it's not that we don't pray to God directly either. No, we say the Jesus prayer. We pray the our father. We pray directly to God as well. But on top of that, we also ask the saints who are still alive in Christ to pray to God for us too. Yeah. I mean, I think and, and, and actually even, even in revelation, there's like uh the prayers are being lifted up with incense to the heavens by like, by the, the, uh, mm. the angels. Yeah. And it's, there's, there's, there's points in, in, in the scripture where you can find, like people say the Trinity is not in the scripture and there's certain, but there's, if you really look in the scripture, the cloud of witnesses are there. Like the saints are there. The saints are spoken of in um, maybe not as directly as some people would like, but if you really, understand what the scriptures are, are trying to portray they're 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 speaking about saints in, in in certain areas you know it's interesting too in more ancient faith 
expressions and religions you have, and even in Judaism, you kind of do have this concept of being connected with your ancestors, which is kind of sounds new agey or almost, you know, in, in Japanese and then also in Native American spirituality, you have a big emphasis on, you know, um, ancestral connection and stuff like that, which I wonder if they're, if they, they're kind of onto something and, and maybe that's where that comes from in, in some sense. And, um, you know, as religions develop, you have kind of this concept of leaning on, I mean, never, it's, it's obvious that we, we lean on the words of those who've come before us and, but why wouldn't we lean on them? Um, why do we only lean on them intellectually? Why wouldn't we lean on them in a spiritual, more mystical sense, you know? That kind of makes sense. Very interesting. Right. Yeah, no, it's, there's definitely a lot of cultural depth and, and a lot of culture that a lot of people like, like I used to walk around and say, you know, white people have no culture and, and things of that nature. And it's like, I mean, first off, it's, I was limiting white people to just white instead of like German, French, or mm -hmm. Irish or whatever. I was, I was watering down terminology and, and uh, a lot of the culture that a lot of those people that, that walk around with that mentality are looking for, it's, it could be found in orthodoxy and there is, you know, just deep, rich history and, and respect and honoring of the people that have established and carried on the traditions of Christ and the apostles down the line to us 2000 years ago, 2000 years, all the way from 33 AD till today. And, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a quote. I'm just, I just keep bringing up quote. I like these quotes from the old, like uh, the saints, like Saint, um, Saint Athanasius who says, uh, orthodoxy is what Christ taught the apostles preached and the church fathers kept. And, uh, I don't think there's any better way to describe orthodoxy and how it's stayed so true to its roots than that short little statement because, yeah. um, yeah. That's really interesting. So, so now you find yourself in the Orthodox church, but you were only recently illumined is the word they say. Yeah. Newly, newly illumined would, yeah. Just baptized basically. Yeah. Wow. So how was that? That was just this past December, 2022, right? Yeah, that was Christmas Eve, actually, it happened. I was, I was um, baptized with, it was 13 people total, so me and 12 other people. Five of those people were me and my family, and um, it was a beautiful ceremony. I've never experienced anything like it, and it was the most people that have been baptized into our church at one time ever in the history of, of the church that we're at, at the, at the specific um, parish we're at. Was it in San Diego? And, uh, yeah 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 and uh it's it's up near some military housing and um beautiful area and uh yeah it's it was it was a beautiful ceremony and and i've got pictures of it i did a little reel i put a reel together of it just because it was very special and i wanted to kind of remember it and um yeah it's cool that you it's hard, to, it's hard to put into words it's really hard to put into words like i don't know how to explain the baptism or or it, it, go, it really is beyond words what happened that day, but it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life. And um, yeah, it was like a triple immersion. There's a triple immersion in the name. You're baptized in the name of the father, go down, dunk, full immersion in the name of the son, and then the Holy Spirit, full immersion on all three of those. And oh, then there's a chrismation as well afterwards with the holy oil on the, um, and, the and it's done 
around your ears and there's multiple there's a tonturing where they cut a piece of your hair so there's a lot into it it's very in-depth and there's a a washing of the feet kind of aspect to it and um very powerful very powerful humbling experience to say the least that is so fascinating wow that's that's really cool so have you felt like a difference in your life since since that day I'm definitely not like a, a saint all of a sudden, you know, like it's, if anything, it's more of like a ramped up. Now the struggle kind of really begins. It's like a, a ramped up spiritual struggle. I've definitely just on the ladder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, I, I put my step on the ladder. It's like, I put my foot on the ladder is really what happened. And it's, um, and there's demons trying to pull you off and it's even in the icon. Like there's people going up the ladder and there's people like right at the top and Christ is at the top of the ladder, like welcoming people, helping people. And there's these angels helping people up the ladder. And then there's these, demons. Yeah. yeah, there's these demons just pulling people off to fall into this like pit of flames with this beast mouth, just engulfing them, you know? And it kind of reminds me that beast mouth also reminds me of like that, uh, Travis, whatever. I'm not sure it was, a, it was like a hip hop concert or a rap concert with like this big mouth and people were walking into it. And it reminded me of this old, oh, like, religious. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. He, it was like a couple years back, there was this big concert of like a big, it was his face and it was like a big beast mouth and people were walking into it. And I just remember that kind of, it reminded me of these old hellish artistic portrayals I would see of hell from, I think, uh, I don't remember the, I think his name's Bosch, B-O-S-C-H, an old artist from back in the yeah. day. I believe he was Catholic, if I'm not mistaken, but very similar depictions. Yeah, unfortunately, we had we had um, Dante's Inferno that was written in the Middle Ages, and that all of a sudden our, our concept of hell became very hellish, you know? Right, right. It, was, it wasn't even, it's not even about our relation or disposition towards God or the divine. It's just about yeah. not suffering and feeling pain. And it's kind of, you know, and then it, it turns the gospel into a, just a get out, like a fire insurance or like, God, how can Jesus, how can I use you to get my end, you know, um, rather right. than than actually union, seeking union with God uh, in that sense? Yeah, so no, I, I definitely lean more towards, I mean, I, I theosis is uh, makes a lot more sense to me spiritually. And um, yeah, just lines up with the direction that I know I feel like I need to move in in my heart and soul at this point in my life. Nothing else really makes sense to me. It's beautiful. It's hard. It's painful, right? And and Protestantism they call it sanctification. But I think we have we put there's there's a I think theosis brings it the next level. It's like well, if my goal is ultimately to be united with God and, and become one with with Jesus and become so like Jesus um, eternally, then that looks very different than just like getting to the good place you know um it's it's a lot more deeper it's a lot more real and it also has an impact on the world right like i think a lot of christians forget you know and and i think this is deep in our jewish heritage too that um a lot of you know what was the promise of abraham to abraham it was the promise that through him all nations would be blessed so i think christians are here to bless all nations you know to be to be here on behalf of the world, um, which is something that we often forget. And that means becoming more like Christ in that process of theosis. But well, Mark, it's it's been a great conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts and 
maybe words wisdom to anybody who's interested in or has some experience in that uh in the new age movement and is kind of looking for a way i don't know something that's more true and more real yeah i would say i mean if if you feel called to if you feel if anything i'm saying here is uh if you're if you're looking for for the truth a lot of these people in the truth movement, a lot of these people that are in the new age are looking for truth. They're looking for a lot, a lot of that. I know that's what led me into the, into the new age was I was a truther. I was all about truth, truth, just spiritually looking for the raw untainted truth. And be, and a lot of this, the, a lot of the situations in the world in the last couple of years, I think I put people in that same position where they're, they're seeing a lot of veils being lifted. They're seeing a lot of illusions being broken right before their eyes and and uh and it's leading them to a point where they want something rock solid and true that's not going to move that's not going to change with the seasons that's not going to change with the the climate or the or this or that and it's it's not it's it's rooted in reality like the like we're called to be in the scripture like the church is called to be a pillar of truth they're looking for the pillar of truth and um I would highly recommend if you, if you look up in your area where you're at, wherever you may be staying at, and look up a new, a near Orthodox church. They're not as common as Catholic churches. They're not as common as Protestant churches. So some people have to travel fairly far distances to get to a local Orthodox church. I would, I would reach out in person if possible. If not online, there's a lot of people putting out Orthodox content. I would, I would reach out personally to a priest. Is what I would do. Not, not someone like me who, uh, you know, still has a lot to learn and a, and a lot of, uh, I have a lot of learning to do and a lot of living to do before I can really offer that, that level of advice. And um, I would highly recommend talking to a priest and just asking any, any questions you may have about psychedelics, the new age, where you're coming from and um, what orthodoxy is about. And I think a lot of people will be surprised at the answers they get. I think a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised at the um, spiritual clarity that a spiritual father or orthodox priest can offer in such a situation and uh yeah i just uh i've been there and I, and i'm not and i i hope i hope anything everything i say doesn't come off too judgmental or or putting anybody else down because i, I embrace I, I embrace every step of the journey along the way um i'm happy i went through everything i went through and i believe god put me through every single point uh, from Protestantism to Catholicism to New Age, I believe all that happened for a reason to lead me to where I am now. And I'm extremely grateful to God that I got to experience all of that. And um, I think it makes, it offers perspective to the story that I'm telling right now. So glory to God for that. And I hope uh, other people yeah. can can find their way home as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, that's, thanks for your humility and and willingness to come on and talk to me on the fellow traveler i think it's it's just really cool to hear stories and your story is unique even though like you you're very humble and saying like uh um you know obviously you have i have so much to learn and whatnot and that's true but at the same time you have so much to offer because of your story and you know that makes me wonder like maybe that's why god lets us go through stuff like that so that we can have a story to tell others testimony to share yeah and I would add to what you said, like, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're not, 
the goal isn't like some sort of transcendent mystical um, ascent or something. The goal is Jesus, I think, you know, and, and I think there's something about Jesus that transcends um, even, even the desire to transcend, you know, <laughs> there's something about Jesus. Exactly. Actually, there's something about Jesus that actually grounds us in reality, you know, yes, it, it yes, makes us yeah. love other people in a very real way that, um, you know, so often in, in those movements, it's not about loving others. It's about loving myself and, and creating myself into God, you know, whereas we should, we should want to become one with God and his people for the sake of others um, in a very yeah. practical way. Yeah, I think a lot of that, like the transcendent aspect, it, it can fall into like a like a certain aspect of like these moments of enlightenment and mm -hmm. they come back and they've got all the answers now when it's really, it's a lot more subtle and, and long, a long, like the real journey is Marathon. a lot more subtle and long and slow burning. And uh, yeah, theosis, you know, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, trying to do my best. Just recently, uh, when uh, I think what was it like six months ago, Callistus Ware passed away, and he was he's a really influential um, Orthodox bishop, I believe. He was a bishop. Do you are you familiar with Callistus Ware? I'm not super familiar with him, but I know what you're talking about. Vaguely, yeah. Check out, check him out though. Super cool. Um, I really enjoyed his work, and and I was listening to him in an interview a couple of years ago, and someone asked him are you saved he was like and he was hesitant even after being years and years in the faith and um and um a bishop he was he was even hesitant to say you know i'm i'm being saved but i'm not yeah not saved yeah. until that moment you know when i'm saved. <laughs> i had i had a protestant person the other day come up to me and offer me a bible i just wanted to get a I like collecting Bibles of all yeah. different types and just kind of comparing and contrast. And, uh, and so they came up to me and they said, are you saved? And I was like, I'm Christian. And they gave me the Bible. I was like, thank you. <laughs> it was like, that was my roundabout way of like trying well, not to be mean, but also kind of like, you know, it's like, I'm not saved. Do I yeah. think I'm saved? No, I'm in, I'm, I'm constantly trying to be saved. Every day I'm waking up, I'm trying to be saved, but yeah. it's, it's, it's not something that, you know, it's a constant battle and it may even, and then, and then you get into the toll house aspect of, of Orthodox theology, which can be debatable for some people, but I do believe in the toll houses and blessed father Seraphim Rose's uh, take on it, which can, he gets into in the soul after death book, but then there's even a battle. Yeah. Then there's even like a battle that can come after the point of death, like a, a spiritual tests, even at that point. So that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother aspect of, of, uh, Wow. the spirit spiritual warfare and, and our transition into eternal life it's tough because there's so much there's so many topics that almost get into speculation you know where it's like you know right. where did these ideas really come from and that's what's really fascinating like and i you know i think i think that's what kind of i appreciate about protestantism in some sense where they they want to be cautious and be like okay what did the early church what did the what did the apostles really believe and obviously yeah. they're but Applications, I think, oftentimes stick, and they don't, and they, you know, they don't take into account all of the tradition, or not. And like right. uh, when I was talking to um, Father Jarmus, he mentioned there was this man that one of these priests mentions this kind of idea of um, what have all 
Christians at all times, at all places believed. And that's kind of a good rule of thumb. But even then, that's pretty subjective and takes some discernment, right? And and I think that's right. a big discussion when it comes to new new age spirituality is like you need to have discernment because um, it's not always black and white and the, and the truth and falsehood can be so close to one another. Maybe right, yeah, no, the lines can get blurred. The lines got blurred for me, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. Thank you, thank you, brother, for having me. We're actually driving over the George Washington Bush the Bridge right now, right? We're driving over the George Washington Bridge right now in New York City. So <laughs> awesome! That's Mark, awesome, dude. That's cool Safe travels. Uh, to have listened to this, that was that was solid, man. You sounded great. I uh, I'm intrigued, so I'm gonna give it a listen after Pete edits edits it, and that was good, man. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for the compliment, man. I really appreciate it. All glory to God, man. Thank you. Speed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That was my friend Adam. He's driving. But anyway, awesome, man. Um, awesome. Get away to Philly. Uh, wish us luck. Peace, yeah, bro. dude. I'll I'll pray. I'll pray for you guys, man. I'll definitely be praying for safe travels for both of you guys out there, man. Kindly. I'm gonna pause the video or stop it. Lord, Lord, the nature of your wrath is not an easy path. But I'm willing to trust, though I'm dying in the dust.